are listening to the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, Kentucky's weekly horse racing discussion. And now, here are your hosts, Alan Schneider. And Kettle One Up is storming up the rail under Calvin Morrell. Kettle One Up from last to first will pick the lead and kick away by two, three. Patty Ray with high heels on the outside. Kettle One Up and Calvin Morrell win the fall city with a flourish. Brandon Jaggers. Jordan Senny trying to get out. If she does, she's dangerous. And here she comes. Jordan Senny and Tyler Gasleon surging up to win the Hurricane Birdie. Jordan Senny gets it. It's a 50 to 1 shocker. And me, CC Broadus. Conacher by five with 100 yards to go. Good night, Dead Surfer Dude chased him all the way. Conacher, a sharp winner by four. The auxiliary gate. Big problem. Here we are, recording episode number 109 of the Auxiliary Gate Podcast. I'm CC Broadus. We're joined by Alan Schneider. Alan, Italy has seized four tons of cocaine linked to a Colombian Gulf clan. How much do you think four tons of cocaine is worth in euros? I don't know much about euros. I don't know much about cocaine. Hell, I don't know much about money, if you know anything about me. Uh, I don't know, 80 million. I, I, you're asking the wrong person. How would you move four tons of cocaine? Very carefully. I don't like know. Like the bulldozer? <laughs> I don't I mean, you just can't like, never mind. I live in Louisville, but I don't know that much about cocaine. <laughs> How are you, Alan? I'm good, How brother. I, I feel great. I, I'm, I'm, uh, looking forward to a big week. I'm going on vacation here in the near future. I'm not going to Spain or anything like that, but I'm going to Florida here in a couple of weeks. So, I'm just trying to get to that, but brother. What's interesting you mentioned Spain because uh, I have a question for uh, our other podcast host, and that's Mr. Brandon Jaggers. Uh, Brandon, if you are an American when you're walking into a bathroom and you're an American when you're leaving the bathroom, what are you while you're in the bathroom? Well, you're in the loo. you got to pay to use the restroom. So I don't it's a good one, CC. I appreciate it. I don't know the answer. Brandon, European. Oh, boy. Boy, we're off to a really good start here. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Should we this read not- this? <laughs> no, let's go. Let's go. Let's with roll it. with it. We don't care. We have no pride. All right. You'll, you'll have to edit that. <laughs> Brandon, how are you doing? Doing great. I, uh, I've been home alone all week. My, uh, my married legal love. Bug is uh, overseas in Spain visiting family before we come back and start the campaign over again. And uh, I got a fun little text message today from a guy named Dan Oliver. Dan is the one that started Dano's uh, seasoning. Uh, remember, it's low sodium. Pop, pop, get you some. All those types of things. Uh, it was a, a made tick to hit the TikTok world as soon as TikTok came out, and uh, he really surged uh, thereafter. And Lo and behold, fast forward a few years and him expanding into multiple businesses. And this is a totally grassroots type of underdog situation. And he's sponsoring our, our horse. Is this the podcast horse? I'm not for sure, but, uh, Rich Strike because their stories are very, very similar. Uh, came from very humble backgrounds, low money to start out. And now they fit it big time. And so he's going to be at the Belmont this weekend. I'm going to see him. And he's going to be partnered with the owner and uh, wishing the horse uh, the very best of trips and luck on the Belmont. That That's awesome. Uh, I mean, I, I would say Justin White is our horse, but, I mean, we like Rich Strike, right? Rich Strike is uh, one of eight contestants in this Saturday's Belmont Stakes installed at 7-2. to two. I believe he's the third choice on the morning line, but we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Uh, we've got a special guest coming up, and uh, – uh, Alan, uh, any other anything else you want to touch on before we uh, get to our special guest? Uh, no, as a matter of fact, I'd say we can go and uh, start talking to him right now. As a matter of fact, because he's somebody we've wanted to have for a long time. Sounds good to me. Okay, without further ado, the Auxiliary Gates special guest of the week. Yeah, speaking of our uh, guest tonight, it is no understatement to say that when we started this podcast 
our guest this evening. It's exactly the type of horseman we wanted to both showcase and get to know. As a matter of fact, he was on our initial short list. Now that he's got a three-year-old potential star in the barn named Conagher, we figure we need to make up for lost time starting right now. He's won over 600 races, including the Arkansas Derby of all things. Made a whopping $16 million in earnings over a 30-year-plus career, and perhaps most importantly, most importantly, he's made me a lot of money over the years. So with that said, I would like to welcome on behalf of Brandon and CC, I'd like to welcome Mike Tomlinson to the Auxiliary Gate Podcast. Mr. Tomlinson, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing very well. That is good to hear. That is good to hear. And you know, Mike, uh, I can call you Mike, correct? Absolutely. I had a feeling you wouldn't mind. You know, Mike, I wasn't kidding. Uh, when we started this podcast a couple of years ago, our goal uh, was to talk about a wide variety of things in, in the state of Kentucky, but we wanted, more importantly, to talk to the people that we admired and respected in the game, uh, people like Michelle Lovell, who we talk to all the time, uh, Tom Drury, Pat Day, Brian Hernandez, the list goes on and on and on. We've accomplished all that and more, and now we're happy to say you were on, our, again, as I mentioned earlier, you were on our shortlist, and now we're glad that we finally have you. So thanks again for joining us. Well, I'm glad to be here. Appreciate the invitation. Anytime, anytime. Uh, before I get into your horses, and there is a big horse we're going to talk about among some other ones, but uh, you've been training for over 30 years now, as I understand it, and, and at a very consistent high level, I might add. Um, was training your calling all along, or did you just happen into it way back in the day? Well, my history uh, is pretty interesting. I, I grew up in Oklahoma. Uh, my dad was a businessman, and, and we had a ranch in Oklahoma, and, and he introduced me to horses uh, from the day I was born. Uh, there was no paramutual racing in Oklahoma, hmm. um, you know, until like 88, 89 uh, was when racing began back there. But uh, uh, so he had quarter horses, paints, Appaloosas. He raced all kinds of horses at the uh, different breeds at the uh, bush tracks in Oklahoma. Um, so I grew up with horses. Um I did a variety of things young. When I was young, I showed. Uh, after I uh, got out of college, I was a member of the Professional Rodeo Association, and I uh, was a tie-down calf roper and steer wrestler. And um, my dad had a very serious stroke, and uh, I had to come home and quit uh, traveling around to the rodeos and and at that point in time, um, all the racehorses that he had there kind of drew me into the racing business. And, and uh, uh, I left Oklahoma in 1995 uh, permanently to come to Kentucky because I wanted to better myself and have better horses and have the opportunity to train horses that uh, would really uh, – make you smile, for lack of better words. Uh, mm -hmm. The quality of horses here is second to none. So uh, uh, kind of a long, drawn-out <laughs> history there uh, of myself. That uh, That's the way it all turned out. Well, you know, you actually bring me to a couple of questions now talking. Like, number one, you're, we need to get back to this rodeo thing for a little bit. So uh, you, you – you, Eight second guy. I mean, you you would would you did you bunk rockles or I'm I'm not sure what the terminology is. You, you tied them down. Uh, did you ever break any bones or anything like that? Oh, well, I've I've had a, a, a one broken bone. I broke a knuckle. Uh, but uh, yeah, I was a timed event uh, cowboy. Oh. I, I I did the roping and and uh, steer wrestling, and um, so that that's a, a different. Totally different ball game than the what they call the rough stock events. Yeah, you can tell them from the city, right? You can tell them the city boy. Well, that's uh, okay. So when was you? So we're gonna uh, fast forward here in a second. But what was your first thoroughbred winner? Do you remember? I'm sure you remember, right? Yes, sir. I certainly do. And How it's it? uh, quite it's the quite a comical name. The horse's name was Thingajig at Remington Park. Really. Yes. What year was Matter of fact, it was it was my first start as a uh, licensed thoroughbred trainer. So one for one. 
One for one. I should have retired then. Yeah, the percent, even though you've had a good career, the percentages have dropped since then, haven't they? <laughs> but math works. Yes, sir. You know, uh, I know after the derby around here, everybody was talking about Eric Reed and Rich Stripe. But now, if you follow Kentucky racing at all, or you're in the know a little bit, it seems there's considerable buzz around here for another longtime local horseman named Mike Tomlinson. And his star three-year-old, Colt Conagher, that's who they're talking about now, it seems like. For those that don't know, this horse ran last weekend, I think a second-level allowance, and stopped the clock at 108-2. and two. Beat the LeCompte winner, who beat Epicenter by 20 lengths in that race. And that's just a, a month removed from destroying a, an allowance field, a really good allowance field at Keeneland. Um, your horse is the buzz right now. Uh, you have to be over the moon excited about what this horse has accomplished and what he can accomplish going forward, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, this colt, uh, I bought him for two uh, of uh, um, my very good clients, um, Mr. Vince Foglia, who races under the name of Patricia's Hope LLC, right. and uh, Mark Fair, who is also, um, he runs in partnership with, with Vinny uh, under his name, but he also has Diamond F Racing Stable. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I bought this horse at Keeneland from Bobby McCutcheon, uh, who started him one time at uh, Keeneland, and he was second, his only start at Keeneland. Um, we uh, ran him at Keeneland and, and Churchill uh, two or three more times that fall. He was never off the board. Uh, we broke his maiden uh, at actually at Colonial on the turf. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had some distal cannon bone bruising, some little minor um, issues as a two-year-old that all of them do. You know, they all have to adjust to the stress and and the, the rigors of, of training and racing. So we give him the winter off and um, brought him back as a three-year-old. Uh, we give him a race at Gulfstream Park um, on the uh, – not so good turf course down there. It it uh has yeah. really took a beating here lately. Mm-hmm. But uh but uh so we give him a race there and was targeting the season because of the money uh here in Kentucky. And uh luckily everything has just fell into place and worked out very well for us. He is a very nice colt. Yeah, one oh eight and two is nothing to sneeze at around here. And he's done he's done it easily both times. I think and so p- people don't know that allowance race at Keeneland, he was 73 to 1 that day and won by a mile. Uh, <laughs> did you have any money on him that day? Uh, everyone in, in, in uh, the crew and all the connections did very well. Let's just put it that way. So. Yeah. I've, I've done very well on your horse over the years. I didn't catch that one that day. I was at work, unfortunately. But I have to ask, what's next for this horse? I mean, the options have to be out there right now. What, what Do you have any immediate plans for this horse, or are you just uh, too, too many to salivate over at the moment? Well, there's, uh, there's uh, a couple of options coming up. Um, July and August, you have uh, uh, some races in New York. There is an overnight $160,000 stake here at Churchill right. uh, coming up early July. Um, we're still weighing our options. Uh, we're, we are going to, uh, jump into the, the fray of the heavy heads and, and the big, the big races here pretty soon. Um, I'm not anxious to run him without Lasix, although I'm going to have to. Right. Um, it's not that the Colt is a bleeder, but, uh, I just uh, adamantly disagree with what's going on in racing right now because Lasix, no matter what anyone says, is not a performance-enhancing drug. All it does is allow a horse to run to his ability. And they're throwing the baby out with the bathwater here, um, and and I really hate it because all these horses – of that caliber will eventually bleed when they run 
and exert themselves the way they have to run, and especially in the upper class races. But uh, that's the that is the uh, you know situation we're in at this point in time. We're going to have to deal with it, and we're going to go on with it, and we'll be looking at some uh, bigger races here within the next uh, race or two. Yeah, every trainer we talk to says the same thing about LASIK, so you're no exception. But I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Uh, is there any, you got, eventually, is there, can this horse go longer? Seven well, miles? His, his female, his bottom side pedigree, uh, definitely, um, likes two turns. And that was one of the reasons I actually nominated this colt to the three-year-old race, uh, on, uh, Preakness Day at Pimlico, oh, but yeah. that race was three quarters, and my objective was to stretch him and take a step at a time here and go ahead and stretch him out. Um, we're actually looking at possibly the Iowa Derby right now, nice. um, which is a 250 mile and 16th race. Uh, it's the first of July. Uh, and because it is not graded, we can use Lasix in Iowa. So it gives us one more race to protect him with Lasix without having to, uh, uh, run him without that drug. So. Brilliant. Yeah, that's a good idea. I see it. That's a good plan. And you can see where you go from there. Exactly. Two turns. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and right, and my- Alan Jerkins is. Uh, yes. In August is definitely um, in our in our scheme of things at this point in time too. Yeah, it's exactly. a seven furlong. Uh, that would race be exciting. Grade one, right? Grade one at Saratoga. Yes, sir. Oh boy! All right, Mike. You know you've you've accomplished something else major over the past few years that you aren't even aware of. Uh, you have done the impossible. You've made me look smart on occasion, all right? <laughs> and what I mean by that is one of my angles when I go to the racetrack, and it has been over the last several years, one of my few successful angles has been to play Mike Tomlinson when he points his horses or runs them at seven furlongs to a one-turn mile. Now, I, it used to be a money-making thing. I know you may not do it as much anymore, but when, I, when you point a horse at seven furlongs, one-turn mile, you had to bet him. You made me look smart. You made me a lot of money. Was I remotely right about that, that you pointed those spots? That's when you fired your best shots, or did I just get lucky? What's the deal? No, you, you – um, well, we all have to get lucky, but but there are, is a little method uh, to I my madness so. there. Um, you know, I, I'm not a – I'm not a really aggressive trainer, as you well know. If you handicap much, you know that my uh, percentages with first-time starters is not good. Um, but that's primarily my theory and, and uh, my training techniques. Um, I, I have, until lately, never trained for people uh, who could afford a horse that was one and done. We always tried to extend the career out for uh, those folks to where they'd have a horse uh, down the road and, and be able to make money and, and have a good time. So, um, you know, we always uh, placed our horses uh, in a, a common sense manner and and took a step up uh, each race and and it's kind of like building a house. You have to build a good foundation before you put the rafters up. So right. um, we we tried to put in a good foundation on horses, and when they were ready uh, to go, then uh, we took our best shot. At that seven furlong, that one turn mile, it's at least the way it looked to me. And uh, I mean, I mean, things may have changed, but the couple that come to mind, I mean, there's several because you had a, one hell of a run a few years ago at church. You went like seven, eight in a row, as I recall. Something like that. Yes, sir. Yeah, and two of the ones that come to mind are Jordan's Henny, won the one-turn mile Hurricane Birdie at Gulfstream. That's 60-1, to one. and yes, I bet him that day. And one of my all-time favorites, Home Base, uh, who did the seven-furlong trip successfully a bunch of times. There's many others. As I just said, Home Base is one of my favorites. Is there any chance? I know you no longer have Home Base, but was he a favorite of yours? Oh, he he was a lovely horse. Uh, just 
Oh, just jet black and just beautiful confirmation. Yes. Uh, I claimed him from Jason Service off of Gary and Mary West at Gulfstream in his second start. Um, and uh, I, I got lucky over the years when I started going to Gulfstream in the winter. Uh, that was part of the reason for going down there was I had a client uh, in Patricia's Hope, uh, Vinny Foglia, that wanted to go down there and, and claim high-end horses. So we claimed from Todd, we claimed from Jason, we claimed from Chad Brown, and uh, we got uh, some nice horses off of those guys that uh, had just, you know, kind of slipped through the cracks. Um, they... Uh, uh, those guys have a lot of horses, and and uh, uh, sometimes they take a shot with the horse that they shouldn't have, and right. we we got lucky a time or two. And home base was one of those. Uh, you know, one of the and the guy that rode home base is a guy that rides a lot of your horses. Uh, it's one of the most recognizable, successful, and long-standing jockey trainer combos we see around these parts, and that's Mike Tomlinson and Joe Rocco. Uh, you guys have been together a long time. And very successful, as I mentioned. Uh, talk about what makes the two of you work so well together, if that's okay. Well, uh, I'd like to say right off the bat that, in my opinion, Joe Rocco is probably the most underrated writer uh, that I know. There you go. Uh, he uh, has ridden hundreds of races for me. I can tell you two races that I was disappointed and thought Joe made a mistake as far as the, you know, the race that he rode. And, and that's a pretty damn low percentage, I can that's tell right. you. That's and, right. Uh, but Joe is, um, you know, my dad told me when I was a kid and he, and he, uh, uh, my dad was a great man and he tried to teach me that if you lay down with dogs, you wake up with fleas. And I try not to deal with people that uh, I don't have uh, or try to share common values with. And Joe is is a family man. His character is impeccable. And he and I have had luck together, which makes it uh, even better. And uh, I just thank the world of the guy. And that's awesome to hear. And it makes it's. So no, you got to be happy for your success with Conagher, but that means Joe Rocco has success with Conagher too. So it makes it even better, right? You two are experiencing this horse together. Oh, at uh, when when we came back this spring, and Joe worked him for us a time or two, he looked at me and raised his eyebrows as if, uh, you know, we got one here, boss, and. Uh, he uh, he has definitely fulfilled our dreams up to this point in time. That's awesome. Joe is an excellent rider, and uh, it, you can just tell he knows your horses. You can just tell that they're, they're one and the same when they're on when uh, he's aboard one of yours. Um, but that you talk about owners a second ago. Before I hand it over to my buddy CC here, I want to ask you real quick. You made me think. This wasn't a pre-scheduled question I had. You train. You train for Ralph Ralph Woosley and Irv Kinder, right? One of those well, guys. Well, it's Ralph Kinder and, and Irv, Irv Woolsey. Yes. Uh -huh. One of those guys is George Strait's manager, right? Absolutely. Yes. Sir. Do you know George Strait? Uh, I have met him. I, it, you know, it's not like we're buddies, but, but you uh, met him. better not done. <laughs> and Irv, Irv is. Uh, is a big man in Nashville, but he's one of those guys that you and uh, I or any one of us common folk can sit down with him and have a conversation, and you'd never know, uh, really? you know who he was if if you if you weren't uh, told previously. So. I'd love to meet him because I love music and I love George Strait. So I've always meant to have that in the back of my mind. If I ever got the chance to talk to you, I always wanted to meet you as ask about uh, George Strait. So that's awesome. And it's good to know that, it's good to know that you're surrounded by so many great people, uh, Mike. And with that, I will hand it off to my friend, CC.
Hey, Mike. Uh, first of all, I'm a big fan of what you've done with your career and, uh, yeah, continued success going forward. I got to lead off though. Uh, my friend Alan is, is, a, a, it's almost concerning how much of a fan of you he really is. I think he's got a poster of you on his wall. <laughs> well, I, I know for this wall. a poster. <laughs> yeah. Pay for this wall. So just you might you might just uh, grow eyes in the back of your head. That's all I got to say. About that. It worries me a little bit. It's unhealthy. How, how much love you have for your career? So sixty to one will do for you. Sixty to one will do that. Yeah, I, I understand that. So, uh, Mike, I want to take you way back. Uh, I understood you played baseball. Yes, sir. Uh, yes, sir. Uh-huh. How, how close were you to being able to play in the big leagues? Well, at one point in time, I was pretty close, but uh, I hurt. I actually hurt my arm. Uh, it started in football in high school, my senior year. Um, I uh, got a real bad bruise in my elbow and got uh, uh, chronic bursitis in my elbow. They took uh, about a pint of fluid off my elbow twice my senior year, and um, uh, it, it kind of took took my abilities away a little bit. And in baseball terms, in the baseball world, when I was uh, uh, early in my high school year, we were being scouted pretty heavy, and and uh, I could throw what we used to say I could throw an aspirin, when, which means that uh, when you throw the baseball and it's coming at you, it's coming so fast it looks like it's an aspirin. So. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we, uh, th- that unfortunately didn't work out, but, uh, but I had a lot of fun. That was the only, uh, period in my life that, uh, horses were, uh, playing second fiddle because, uh, uh, from, uh, middle school through high school and into college, uh, my first year, I actually went on a scholarship and, uh, uh, but I couldn't, I just couldn't, my elbow hurt all the time and, and, uh, I just couldn't throw the ball successfully. So, uh, I turned in my, uh, scholarship and I transferred to Oklahoma State and, uh, and that's where I, uh, got heavily involved with the rodeo and was on the rodeo team there, uh, with Oklahoma State University. Okay, so let's fast forward just a little bit. Now, we've already talked about your first career win at Remington Park. I wanted to ask you, this just popped in my head a couple hours ago. Around that time, when Remington Park first opened, they had their surface was not your typical dirt surface. It was Equitrack, as I recall. That's right. It was, this was kind of like the precursor to synthetic tracks, like Polytrack and, and, and whatnot, uh, do you have any memories of the of the Equitrack or what what was it like the train over or any any anything you can recall back then? Oh, it, it, uh, it I have a lot of memories of that because uh, that was uh, one of Jack Vanberg's brainchilds, and um, it was actually washed river sand that was coated with a polymer. And that's a fancy name for oil is what that is. And uh, uh, the stuff, when it was cold, would compact. And when it was hot, it would fluff up like a marshmallow in a microwave. And you could, of a morning, when it was cool, you could pick it up and squeeze it, and it would be tied in your hand and... It would actually have the wrinkles of the palm of your hand in the, in the sand. In the afternoons, you could pick it up and squeeze it and open your hand and the stuff would start crawling and just actually expand in your hand. So we had initial problem. I mean, that's where I started. I can tell you all about this stuff. We had an initial problem with the stuff would would ball up in their feet like snow so we all had to start uh spraying pam in their feet to keep it from sticking in their uh, the soles of their feet 
So, and you'd actually have to, when you walked down the track and went through the tunnel into the saddling paddock, you'd have to pick their feet again. And, and I actually had to, the grooms bring cans of Pam and we'd spray their feet in the, in the saddling paddock also. Cooking spray. <laughs> awesome. Yes, sir. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what they did, uh, you know, when Turfway installed the, their uh, synthetic track. I, I, I remember that too. When it would get cold in the winter, they would spray like you said, cooking spray and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, so, I mean, I, as I recall, the Equitrack didn't last very long. Is it something that you were glad to see go, or, or is it something that, you you know, it was, uh, uh, it was a needed innovation at the time? Well, it, it was experimental, obviously. Um, you know, you're talking to a guy who's old school, you know, I, uh, you know, horses evolved for, millions and millions of years on grass and dirt so i don't know why they think they can make anything that's any better for a horse to run over um you know the synthetic surface the the tapita and the poly uh basically is coated with the same type polymer that the equitrack was only the equi- uh the uh, tapita and the polytrack it's made out of carpet, fiber, rubbers, and a combination of sand and, and you know, different formulas. So uh, so it's pretty similar. But uh, <clears throat> personally, I, I just uh, would prefer to go back to uh, dirt and turf and, and leave it at that. I hear that. So let's uh, talk about 2003, hmm. and you won a big race in April at Oaklawn called the Arkansas Derby with a horse named Sir Cherokee. And I think he was a big price that day. Uh, let's talk about this horse for a little bit. He was uh, kind of a, a slow starter with his career. You know, he, he, he didn't win right off the bat, but he, he got better and better. And then you got him to win the Arkansas Derby. Uh, talk about that horse leading up to the, to the big race that, that in 2003. Well, that horse, um, as, we talked about my winning percentage earlier with first-timers is a prime example of uh, trying to build a foundation and, and build a horse long-term. And uh, he actually broke his maiden at Keeneland, got taken down. Uh, that day there was it was rainy. Uh, there were people on the uh, apron with umbrellas uh, and uh, – he actually shied from from we think an umbrella and ducked in front of a horse and oh. they took him down. So we actually got to break our maiden again at Churchill. Um, he started once prior to that at Ellis Park, and uh, uh, but uh, he was a deep closer and had a tremendous finishing kick uh matter of fact he he run the fastest final quarter of a mile of any derby prep that year uh the final quarter of a mile was uh was sub 24 it was almost 23 flat so uh, uh he he was a very fun horse and a very fun horse to watch and uh, he went off long odds um because we uh um with a little bit of help from the owner they uh, he was trying to tell me that we were giving the horse too much to do uh late in the race and wanted him to lay closer and and when he ran that way he he did not finish uh in in the manner that he does when he falls back and uh so he run uh, uh third in the uh Rebel, and uh, no, I'm sorry, run third in the uh, Southwest, Southwest, and he run fourth in the Rebel. Uh, and those two races, he laid fairly close to the pace and just didn't punch. So uh, we took him in the Arkansas Derby. Uh, we took him back. I told Terry Thompson we changed riders, and Terry and I had won a lot of races together and I told Terry I said Terry you just drop his head 
I don't care how far he falls back. And but when you hit the three eighths pole, buddy, you get into him, and and we'll just see what happens. And uh, the rest is history. Amazing. So as I recall, you entered this horse in the Derby. He actually got a post position, right? And he was. Oh, he he was he was ten to one morning line uh, right. in the Derby, and the week before the Derby. Uh, we found uh, what they call a Belmont fracture, which is a, a little condylar fracture in the rear ankle that was minor, but it was enough that, um, you know, I talked to Mr. Jones and I told him, you know, I know this is the biggest race in the world, but if we run him in here, we're probably looking at, you know, his last race. And, uh, Mr. Jones was kind enough to uh, let us go ahead and come out, and uh, we uh, set back on him and, and give him some time and and brought him back, and he won the ACAC Handicap after that. He won the Maxim Gold Cup. He, he was a multiple graded stakes winner after that also. You also had a nice uh, mare named Kettle One Up. Now, I know she ran against Zenyatta, at some point in their career, but she also won the Fall City at Churchill with Calvin Burrell. Tell us about that filly. Well, she was a filly um, that was brought to me, but uh, like a lot of the horses, uh, most of my career in Kentucky, I've gone to a gunfight with a knife because uh, <laughs> the, the, the horses I have gotten were horses that people didn't sell or couldn't sell. Um so, uh, this filly belonged to a gentleman. He was a commodities broker, uh, lived in Lexington, but he was on the Chicago Board of Trade. And, uh, she was uh, out of a storm cat mare. And, um, she was by Victor Gallup. And, uh, she was another late closing horse. Um, but, uh, she was, she was late developing primarily on in her case because she got a, a tibia fracture, which uh, the tibia is the long bone uh, in the hind leg there, and and a lot of it's it's kind of a common injury, especially on horses that can really run. So uh, uh, we had a little bit of a late start with her, and she ended up making about seven hundred, seven fifty. I don't recall exactly, but. Uh, uh, she was a multiple grade of stakes winning mare and, and a really good filly. 700,000 pre, what they call it, uh, with HHR machines or the, the horse slice machines. That's, that's pretty big money. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that's for certain. Uh, Brandon, you want to take over? You have any questions for Mr. Tomlinson? Yeah. Hey, Mike. Uh, you know, so we've talked a lot about horse things and, how far you've gotten and, and how long you've been doing it. But who are some of the, the folks in the business that you like, that you look up to or that used to follow or role model? Thoughts you think to? Well, um, when I started training, um, I didn't, I didn't go to work, uh, for another trainer like a lot of these guys did. I, I had a, um, when my dad, if you go back to the earlier story, when my dad got sick, um, I liquidated all of the uh, quarter horses, and, and uh, except for a couple of the real good ones. And um, I went to New York, and I bought a thoroughbred stallion. His name was Windsor Winter. He was by Prince John out of a never-been mare. He was a graded stakes winner. And I brought him back to Oklahoma and syndicated him. So I had uh, a stallion farm for a few years. And the uh, clients that I had when Paramutual came along, uh, the clients that I had, we already had a breaking service where we were uh, breaking on one of my farms uh, babies for uh, our breeding farm clients to send on off to other trainers. And uh, when Remington Park came along, uh, there was several of them who I had a few horses for 
said, look, you can do this. You were an athlete. You know how to condition yourself and and blah, 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 and said, we want you to train these horses. So it it, it was kind of a migration into the training business, and, and I got lucky, and um, there was an older gentleman who came to Remington Park, uh, and you can look him up. His his name was Everett King. He, he went by E.W. King, and he trained a filly by the name of Dark Mirage. He he had a big stable at Belmont Park for years, but uh, he he had just gotten old and and uh, was basically retiring. And he came to Remington Park with a jockey by the name Tuesday Testa, hmm. and. Uh, he kind of took me under his wing and, and, uh, uh, through his success, he kind of showed me a few ropes and, and things to do. And, and that's, that's basically where I got my, um, kind of my base, base education, uh, as far as training racehorses. And, uh, but, uh, you know, I, there's guys in this business I have a lot of respect for, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, I tell you what, one of the, uh, the first guys comes to mind is a gentleman that's, uh, he actually works at Churchill right now. His name is Steve Penrod, one of the better trainers yeah. in my opinion that's been around. And, and, uh, there's a lot of guys that, uh, have forgot more about horses than <laughs> some of these, uh, young fellas around these days. But they have the numbers and they have the clients and, and it seems to me it has gone from horsemanship to a numbers game. And, yeah. um, and I hate that because, uh, to me that, that takes a lot of the challenge and, and a lot of the satisfaction out of the business. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, kind of fast forward and we always have to get kudos because it's a team. A team sport, team business. Who are some of the folks that work for you now that you'd like to give a shout out to? Like, do you have long-term employees, any assistants or grooms that have been with you a long time? Oh, I've got, uh, I have an assistant trainer. Uh, his name is, he goes by DW. Uh, he has been with me for over uh, 20 years. Wow. He took a little hiatus uh, and worked for Stanley Huff for a couple of years, uh, but then called me one day and wanted to come back, and I said, absolutely. Um, he has been a very, very big asset to our uh, stable, and uh, I owe a lot to him. And... Uh, and have a lot of respect for his horsemanship and, and, uh, he makes things a lot easier for me. Uh, matter of fact, in the last few years, I've gotten a little bit lazy. I don't have to, I don't have to, uh, worry as much as I used to. And, uh, so anyway, a, a big hats off to DW. Uh, I've got a groom that has been with me for 29 years. Wow. Um, his name is Chris Trejo. Chris um, is uh, him and his brother went to work for me in 1993 when the first year I came to Kentucky for the summer and uh, has been with me since. Uh, Chris worked for T.W. Kelly, took care of Trijet, Susan's girl. Um, Chris is one of those guys that I can promise you has forgotten more about horsemanship and, and leg work and, and race horses than, than, uh, 99% of the guys on the backside. And, uh, and I have to thank God for, for these guys because they make my job a lot easier. Uh, well, that's what it takes. And, uh, it's always, Great to learn, you know, how long some of these grooms, assistant trainers, the stories, how well that you guys can stick together. And, you know, it's hard. It's really hard to find those good horsemen and horse ladies that are out there. And uh, we always like to give thanks and tribute to them, too. So, mm-hmm. Well, I'm I'm very fortunate. Uh, 
the people that uh, once we get uh, someone that's good and, and is a good worker, uh, you know, uh, and I need to mention Juan Castro. Uh, he he uh, uh, he's been with me for about uh, shoot. Juan's been with me now thirteen or fourteen years, and uh, another excellent groom. And matter of fact, he takes care of uh, Juan. Juan had, takes care of uh, our boy Conagher. So oh. uh, so he's he's gonna. Uh, uh, be having a lot of fun right along with us here. <laughs> well, good. Well, very good. Well, uh, appreciate it. And, uh, Alan, I'm going to turn it back to you. You got it, brother. And now that we've talked about some established runners real quick, I have to mention one uh, under-the-radar young horse you have that caught my eye. And sometimes these kind of pay off or whatever. And I'm curious about it. It's a horse called Wings Like Eagles. A two-year-old debuted a couple of weeks ago at Churchill, broke poorly against a maiden field today. Was was Rockwell's aboard, obviously, and came flying late. It's like the, it like aptly named, like it had eagle's wings, or it may have been a she. I'm not really sure. Yes, uh, it's a filly. Uh huh. It's a filly. Yes. Or demise to see me. Is this one? This one looked promising to me. Uh, wings like eagles. Well, she she is a very promising filly. <laughs> And, and the lady that owns her, uh, is well deserving. Um, and, uh, but I do have to tell you that, uh, since that race, um, uh, Marion, the owner, was offered a substantial price for the filly. And, uh, she has been sold and you'll be watching her in the barn of Billy Mott now. Okay. So, so I know that technically I was right. <laughs> there was something yes. to see. Well, I, w- I wish you could have kept her because, uh, I guess you had high hopes. I mean, you, you saw what I saw then, I suppose, I guess. I mean, you're the horseman. Well, absolutely. The filly has talent and, and, uh, she's not an easy trip filly to train. Um, but uh Marion is is uh uh been in the game a long time and she's getting up in years and, and she just thought it would be the best to go ahead and, and cut her loose and, and I respect her decision and, and uh, uh you know, we we wish them the best of luck. Yeah. Uh that's awesome to hear. Uh, Blackout Racing Stable. One quick shout. Those mega, that's a syndicate, right? Mega City. Your horse, Mega City. I guess. Oh, yeah. In case they listen. That's Blackout Racing Stable. Yeah. That uh, that's a group of guys that started off in the burble, the burble, <laughs> the bourbon barrel buying group, and uh, they transformed uh, their bourbon business over into racehorses and and uh it's a syndicate of uh a pretty big syndicate there's 50 60 people and they have three groups now and uh so we're buying and and uh and racing and uh we uh, mega city was claimed the other day i don't know if you noticed that i know uh, my nose the other day but that's a shame yeah, he, uh, well, it wasn't too bad. He, with the person, uh, and the claiming price, that they come out really well. So, yeah, so they're happy. So, well, I figured so they'd be listening. So I wanted we're to in the process you. of trying to buy another horse. Okay, cool. All right, before we go, it's, this may be opening a can of worms or whatever. We appreciate your time, obviously. Just, as Cece said, this has been a thrill. Uh, Hissa is coming out, and you're a veteran horseman. I probably have an idea of what you think about it. Do you have any thoughts about Hissa before we HISA? Uh, you know, we've got you here. Might as well ask someone who probably knows. <laughs> well, I, I know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'll, if we talk about Hissa, I'll do my best not to use any explicatives. But uh, whatever you got to do, brother. I talked to other trainers; they did. <laughs> oh, I tell you, it, uh, it it's just well, uh, it, it's just another example of government overreach, in my opinion. And and believe me, I'm the first to say. That we have needed, uh, some changes in our game. Um, everyone talks about perception of the game 
And, uh, you know, but the, to me, the perception has not been Lasix, uh, right. and some of the other things that, uh, you know, the whip rule is absolutely absurd. Um, if you don't want to say it, I'll say it in your head. It's stupid. I mean, I'll, if you want me it, to swear on your behalf, I'll do it. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, it, it's uh, – and, and if they want to talk about perception, if a jock can only hit a horse six times and you're coming down this in a lengthy stretch duel and you hit a horse six times and have, have to quit and you get beat ahead – where is the perception in that? Because the betters that put their money down want that horse ridden to the wire. Yeah, they and, think the jockey quit. They think the jockey and quit. and hey. absolutely. And they used to find jockeys for not persevering to the wire. Now they're going to find them for trying to ride to the wire. It, it's, damn if you do, damn if you don't. It's there is no common sense to any of this, Alan, and, and uh, it's going to – I've already got owners, small owners, that I have one or two horses for that are threatening to get out because, yeah, it, you know. And what's really sad to me is the jockey club is who pushed all this. Uh-huh. Uh, and – uh they have been behind lace, the banning the Lasix, and uh, uh, they did a South African study that uh, was supposed to prove Lasix, uh, you know, was an unnecessary bad drug, and all it did was disprove them. So uh, they swept it under the rug, and it never saw the light of day. And um, there's a lot of things going on. Uh, not just in our business. I could, don't get me started on <laughs> what's going on elsewhere Another podcast. in the United States, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, this is, is not a good thing. And, uh, uh, you know, we, we need to, the guys that have been cheating needed to be not fined. Uh, but they needed to be eliminated. And I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about the guys that get a little overage of Butte or, uh, some minor infraction. But, you know, this, this thing with Navarro and service and, and, uh, I don't know what's taken so long on this deal, but, uh, you know, they have a mailing list of hundreds of trainers that was buying that stuff. And, uh, and it's, you know, nothing has come out. So uh, I don't know if they're building cases or what's going on, but at this point in time, Navarro and, and Service are the only two that have been, uh, had their feet held to the fire, you know. So The, the HISA thing sounds like it's going to be quite the – people are going to have to hire more help. They're going to have to hire people just to take care of their paperwork. Uh, I mean, the, the, the grooms have to be – uh, the exercise riders, they have to, have to be accredited. Uh, so I know a little bit about it, but it sounds like a, a paperwork nightmare, a financial nightmare, an organizational nightmare. It just sounds like it's going to be really difficult uh, for everybody in the backside. And, and at this point in time, I don't know where the funding's coming from right. on this. I'm afraid they're going to pass it on to the owners. And if you want to see a mass exodus of trainers, uh, not trainers, but oh, owners, oh leaving the game, if, if they pass all this cost on to them, uh, you know, it's going to be back to European racing. Only only the Phippses and the Hancocks will have horses. Good so. point. Good point. Well, uh, I, this, to say that this has not been enlightening and a lot of fun would be an understatement, uh, Mike. Uh, I'm, I regret we didn't have you on sooner just – uh, because of, again, I've won so much money on your horse and I've been a, a big fan. And again, CeCe jokes about it, but he has too. Brandon has well. So it's always good to talk to veteran horsemen, uh, especially when they're, when they've got such a good one in the barn on top of it. And I know it's exciting, right? Conagher. It, it's been, it, it's been a dry spell. We, we've had, uh, uh, those good horses we talked about, uh, you know, from 2003 to 2010, but, uh, I've had about eight or nine years here for, uh, we've just had kind of horses and it's, yeah. and it's so exciting to have a good horse again. 
Well, I tell you what, we wish you the best. I mean, I'm excited to see Connor go run the next time. I know everybody around here is. And when you say Alan Jerkins, man, that that does get the blood pumping a little bit. So maybe we'll see you at Saratoga here this this summer. But if not, we'll see you on the backside of here pretty soon, all right? We'll stop well, by your barn. Any of you guys are welcome to come see us at Barn One anytime. You got it. We will be there. We uh, we go back there a lot these days. I tell you what, Mike, thanks a lot. You're more than welcome. That was Mike Tomlinson, a self-made man, a guy that's pulled himself up by his bootstraps. We're glad that he, he joined us this evening. See, I was right. Good guy. We should have had him a long, long time ago. Like you said, pulled him up by bootstraps. Uh, man's probably got a million stories. There's only so many you can put on in a on a podcast, but there are other podcasts we can have, right? Absolutely. I made a foolish mistake. I had it written down here, and I totally forgot to ask him. When I asked him about his wife, Vicky, who is uh, – Oh, yeah, yeah. Vicky is probably – she's already earned her wings as an angel, having to help people like me back in the – about 15, 20 years ago when they printed uh, passes to the third-floor clubhouse at Churchill in the Horseman's Lounge. So I'd go in there and bug her every day to get like three or four for all my buddies. And, uh, yeah, she had to put up with people like me, and she she – was very graceful in doing so, and uh, she's she's one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. Uh, you know, she's she's awesome. She that she wouldn't know me from Adam, but uh, yeah, she's she's a, a great personality. So yeah, shout out to Vicky. Yeah, shout out to Vicky. Hey, Vicky Tomlinson. Uh, maybe you'll be on here one day. We'll have her on. We owe it. If she hooked you up, we owe her. I can guarantee she could tell some stories too. I bet you. I bet you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. So a big uh, big Saturday coming up. Of course, highlighted by the Belmont Stakes, mile and a half on the dirt, drew a field of eight. Also on the undercard, several grade one races, including the Acorn and the Just a Game. And, of course, the Met Mile, which is going to feature a square off between probably the two best intermediate distance runners in the country. That's uh, Flightline and Speaker's Corner. And that's going to be an exciting matchup. Uh, I know the... It only came up with it, maybe draw five or six for that for that race, but uh, I think it was five horses. Yeah. But uh, those two are absolute stars. So yeah, I mean, it's it's not much of a wagering date to me. Those fields are really short. I know there's a couple of good ones, so I'll probably just you know play Churchill if I decide to play that day. But uh, I'm Team Speaker's Corner. I'd rather I'm I'd much rather if I was making a bet, I would bet Speaker's Corner. Nat, how about you? I know what I saw at Gulfstream. Flight lines Malibu was something incredible. So, mm. I, I mean, I, I I hate to see one of them lose, but I, I think I'm I'm team flight line. All right, I'm team Brandon because Brandon's going to be at Belmont. Oh right. yeah, I, I can't wait to see uh, the matchup. I like to see is the Phillies, Malathat, and um, yeah, uh, uh, Latruska. I mean that that race to me is loaded, but with talent, but not horses. I mean, right. you know, I get seven, I think, or six. So. Uh, besides, besides the field sizes, I, I, I can't wait to be there and, uh, root on our girl, Michelle Lovell. Yeah, we're, we're all team change of control. Team change of control is taking on the boys in the grade one, uh, Jiper, the Jiper. Yeah. So yeah. tall order, but if anybody can do it, the queen can. So the three of us are sending our love and prayers that way to, uh, team change of control. And Brandon will be there to cheer. That that's going to help even more. Of course. Start spreading the news. Let's talk about this Belmont real quick. Sure. Uh, eight horse field. We the people, who looks like he's going to be the lone speed, is installed as the two to one favorite. Mo Donegal second choice, and of course the Kentucky Derby winner Rich Strike is the third choice. Uh, I'm not nuts about this. This may be one of the weakest Belmont Stakes fields we've seen in a long time. Yeah, I'd agree. But uh, I mean, analyze this race. What 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 do we what should we expect? Uh, I I don't have a strong once again not a strong opinion. I, I know people are on the We the People bandwagon because of the lone speed, but this is also a horse that ran up the track and the Arkansas Derby ran way up the was it the which one was it out in, in Oakland which race Arkansas uh, Derby yeah yeah it was well, way up the track in the Arkansas Derby. So I mean now he came back well, you know in New York, but I mean two to one. We, are you willing to take two on a horse's course with lone speed? I mean, and the track record may not be there. I don't know. I mean, I don't see why Rich Strike can't win the race, to be honest with you. I'm not saying it's going to be a selection or maybe going to bet the race. I would like to see Rich Strike win. You know, I, I mentioned the other day, it's like, uh, 
people are all over, hey, Moldonagle this, Moldonagle that. It's like, Rich Strike just beat Moldonagle fair and square. You can pretend that he didn't, but he did. Uh, the, the one difference being that the thing about Rich Strike that no one's given the horse credit for, and I'm not saying he's going to win the race, that was a mile and a quarter race. And the difference being with Rich Strike is he had kick at a mile and a quarter. Lots of horses will stay at a mile and a quarter. They'll be, they'll be long, they'll grind out wins, right? He, he closed like a mile or does on the turf in that race. Nobody wants to give him credit for that, but he did do that. Moldonagle did not do that. That's not to say that the, this mile and a half may not play more to that style. I, I don't know, but I think it's foolish to dismiss Rich Strike. Uh, that said, I don't have a strong opinion. I don't know who I like. Hell, it's Tuesday, and by Saturday I probably won't know, but I'd like to see Rich Strike win. Yeah, I, I thought Charger was going to be here, but I, I guess they got other plans for that horse. And uh, I don't—I mean, seeing Nest really upsets me. I wish they'd keep the filly in her group. I, I don't demand the mile and a half for a filly. We've already tried this with Secret Oath. Well, Alex Riches did it, so I get it, I get it, but I don't think it's the year to do it. You know, we've seen enough of—I've seen Nest. You know, I've seen her beautiful filly, great filly. Put her in a different spot. I mean, come on. Not the best. Sometimes it's okay to say that you don't know. I don't know. Do you know who you like in this one, Cece? No, I think uh, if, if the half goes in something like sub 48, you know, 47, 3, 47, 4, I think Red Strike's got a, a big chance. Oh, yeah. Just stay six, seven links back. And this this field's not that much. So I, I yeah. think Rich Strike's got a chance to win this. Yeah, the, the notion that Rich Strike cannot win after Rich Strike just beat Epicenter and Zanon is, is honestly foolish. Now, that's not to say that he will win or that you want to take him at 7-2, but the notion that he cannot win when he's proven that he can do it. But the other horses haven't proven they can beat top-notch talent. This horse has done it. Whether you want to believe it or not or whether you want to excuse the fact that he did it, he did it fair and square. Will he do it Saturday? I don't know. These other horses have not beat this caliber of horse. <laughs> now, I'm going to push back on Mr. Jaggers a little bit. If there's a filly that is bred to go yeah. on a half, it's this one. Because her sire is Perlin, who ran second to a filly in the mm-hmm. Belmont. Named and, Riches. And her grandsire is A.P. Indy, who won the 1991 Belmont Stakes, I think. So... I wouldn't blame. I wouldn't blame anybody taking a shot with Ness. Ness feels like he feels like he might be able to get this distance. I wouldn't blame anybody. I wouldn't blame anybody for taking anything. And, and this is uh, probably something you know. Rapoli, Rapoli's a New York guy, and he he they entered a Philly a few years ago as unlimited budget, right? I think unlimited budget ran in the belt. That sounds right. Uh, and she she didn't. I don't think she fared well, but uh, she was a nice Philly for them. So. I'm not saying I like this. I don't blame him for giving a shot, though, because, uh, I mean, you know, I mean, if, if she runs like she did in the Ashland Stakes at Keeneland, she's got a big chance here. She gets the weight break and goes back to 121. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, that five pounds has got to be worth something. So I, I just maintain this is not an endorsement. I just maintain that people are willing to excuse we the people who ran seventh in the Arkansas Derby. They're willing to excuse Moldonagal, who ran fifth in the fourth, fifth in the Kentucky Derby, yet they knock Rich Strike, who won the Kentucky. I don't understand that logic. Whether you believe the horse wins or believe the horse doesn't win is irrelevant to me. How you can, you're so apt to forgive other horses' bad performances, and they were bad performances, but you're willing to knock a horse that beat the horses that you said are the two best in this, this class. It, it makes no sense to me. I'm going to be on record. I'll say that it makes absolutely no sense to me. Uh, not an endorsement. But to dismiss the horse so easily as some people do, it, it, I do find mind-boggling. All right, guys. Uh, anything else? Now, we're recording on Tuesday night, so we don't have a Churchill card to look at. No, but we'll get around to that, won't we? Oh, I know uh, Royal Ascot comes up next week. Now, I'm not going to pretend to you that I know anything about that stuff. I'm not going to pretend to you that I know anything about anything outside of dumbass puns and 80s music. But I do know that we are bringing someone in this next week, Kate, our friend Caitlin Free. And if anybody knows anything about uh, Royal Ascot, she's going to help us out. With, uh, she's going to talk us through that. I won't do much talking, which is probably a lot of pleasure for some people. But uh, we're, we're going to have her uh, talk us through a little Royal Ascot. I know Cece knows a lot about it, too. I can't wait. Always, I, well, I'm good at Royal Ascot for about three days. And then when I'm down $1,000. 
<laughs> I, I lose interest on the last two days. But yeah, but this time you've got the blonde Doogie Hauser to help you out, right? We've got Doogie Hauser coming because that woman knows her Europe. She knows her international racing. It's I'm not just saying it because she's a friend of. She knows her stuff, so that should help. And Cece knows it. So if you want some help, these guys will help you out this next week, folks. All right, let's wrap it up. We've gone too long, but this has been a good podcast. We've enjoyed Mike Tomlinson. Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah, we're grateful he joined us. I'll sign off here on behalf of Alan Schneider and, of course, the beautiful Brandon Jaggers on his way to Belmont. Almost made made an alliteration. (laughs) Wait a minute. Let's do this again. Let's see. Brandon on his way to Belmont. This is CC Broadus reminding you that Bamblin' Money, bo-ba-bo-bo. Almighty.